Good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today's message comes from what is perhaps the most well-known passage of Scripture found in John 3.16. However, one commonly overlooked aspect of this passage is discovered when we step back and examine the context in which Jesus spoke. We will find that the gift of God's Son is given in vulnerability against the backdrop of human hedging and self-preservation and hiding. Thanks for listening today as we again refocus our attention to define love, the love of God, against the performance-based love that the world offers. One of the shows uh, that my wife and I uh, like to watch together, and there's very few of them. I can barely stand a Hallmark movie. I don't know about the rest of you, but um, that's, uh, that's a little bit difficult. But there is one show on NBC uh, called Making It. It's, if it. I don't know if you've seen it. It's kind of a reality TV show. It's uh, hosted by Amy Poehler and Nick Offerman. And, and the premise of the show is basically it's, it's, a, it's a group of individuals who are very crafty. They, they like to make things. And so there are these challenges where you take an object that's kind of an everyday object and you have to be super creative with it to turn it into something beautiful and use all of your talents for design and creativity uh, to make something. Uh, One of the reasons that I I really like this show, and there's a lot of reasons I like it, but on reality shows, if you're familiar with any of them, whether they're uh, dress designer shows or the bake-off baking challenge shows, they always are um, removing somebody from competition. Are, Are you familiar with reality TV? You know how that works? Um, It's always the person who has done the best gets rewarded, and the person who has done the worst gets what? (laughs) Gets axed. That's right, and they're off the show. And the reason I love making it is because the the hosts, they just hate having to cut people. They just want everyone to always be together. But, of course, the contract of the show uh, demands they've got to cut somebody. And I, I look at that, and I think this is something that we have found accepted within our culture because I think what it has done is it has found something that's true that we have accepted for how people operate with one another. It's called performance-based rewards. Performance-based rewards. Now, I mean, I, I, could, I don't even need to preach on this. I'm sure you can think of many examples, everything from your child report card to um, what it means in your job to get a promotion. We, we esteem, we reward those who what? Perform good or bad? That's right. So if you do good, you go up. And if you do bad, you go down. Boy, what if God dealt with us the same way? What if God graded you on a performance-based reward system? The, the problem is, we, we know from God's word that's not true. I mean, the name of our church is called Grace, for goodness sakes. We know that he loves us, and yet I am convinced the average American Christian still continues to conceive of God in a way that thinks his love towards you depends on your performance. I've, I've seen this and counseled people. I've, I've met with people who are struggling with the, the reality of their own sins, their own failures, the own shame that they would have. And, and here's what happens for most people. If you are one who feels that you are, have a keen awareness of your failures, do you need me to preach about your failures this morning or do you know them? How's everybody doing? 
Sinners in church today? Yes or no? Give me an amen. Are you here? Yeah. So, all right, we'll, we'll leave that right there. That if you're aware of that, here is what likely happens. You feel like you're not worthy enough to come. You feel like you're not worthy enough to be seen before God. And instead of coming into the light and into find forgiveness, instead of coming with repentance, do you know what we try to do? We hide and we cower and we want to stay away because we have been conditioned by a world that operates under performance-based rewards. And even though we know it's true, even though we know that God loves us, we still have this heaviness, this weight in your heart. We ask the question, oh, if you only knew what I did, or the thoughts that I've had, or the plots or actions for me that have been committed, not in the openness where people can see, but in the secret and in the dark where nobody can see, boy, you would know God can never love me. God could never forgive someone like me. Or even worse, I feel like in our world, and things have changed so much, even my own lifetime, which makes me sound old, but I'm not even that old. It used to be that people (laughs) would blush because of shame. It used to be that people felt a need to buffer their sin, but not in our world. No, in our world, do you know, shamelessness is a merit badge. For those things that people used to, to, to want to cover up and maybe keep private now, those are the things that people applaud them for. Look how brave they are. And they, they deserve that. And we have, we have taken that which is good and called it evil and taken that which is evil and we've called it good. And what a mixed up world we live in. And so we're left with kind of a conundrum today that our perspective on God has been so distorted by our world. We need a reminder Of what genuine true love looks like. And you know when I hate this more than any other time? At Christmas. More than any other time. This distortion that that has happened in the hearts of Christians. Makes me so upset. Especially at Christmas. And do you know why? Here's why. Because when you and I think of God. In fact when your children and grandchildren. Conceive in their minds of God. Do you know what they think? They think of God saying this. You better watch out. You You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been good or bad. So be good. For goodness sake. Because he's making a list. And he's checking it twice. And he's going to find out who's naughty or nice. Now we we all recognize the lyrics, right? You, You guys get it? Santa Claus has come to town. Yeah, most people close their eyes when they think of God. That's a picture of Santa Claus. Because for some foolish reason, we decided to grant onto Santa Claus omniscience and omnipresence. And this, this uh, sorry, it's a little spoiler alert for children. I just need to make sure, <laughs> parents, if you're cool with this, you know. I don't know why we have done this other than it being a tool of the evil one to distort how we conceive of genuine love. Because in the merit-based system of the world that you live in, you get good presents if you're good. And you don't get anything if you're bad except a lump of coal. And that is not how God, that is not how God treats us. That is not what true love is. So more than any other time, Christmas really makes me upset for that reason, when, when Christians fail to understand what genuine, true love looks like. And so I'm going to deliver a, a sermon uh, this morning on a passage 
The subject material is going to be love to share with you really the good news of the gospel, which is this. Here, you ready for it? God saw what was done in the dark. God knows the deepest crevices of your heart that you are afraid to look into and all the shame that you would carry with you up the stairs of this building. And do you know what? He loves you, even though he is aware of it. You don't need to hide in the darkness. In fact, the exposure to the light will only reveal more glory to the God who loves sinners. That is what true love is. Santa Claus can take that, put it in his pipe and... I'm not sure if you can say that in church. That's how I feel. Stick that in your pipe and smoke. Sermon's going to be uh, from John 3.16. It's a, it's, a, it's a passage that likely you don't even need to turn to. It's one that I, um, I've only given one other message on in my entire time of preaching, but it's one that I want to review uh, for us today. Um, page 15.13 in the, in the Pew Bibles. Uh, what we're going to do is we're, we're going to see, and what I'm going to try to do is break it apart to show you that there's kind of seven different sections uh, within this one little verse. And someday I want to do a whole series just on this one verse and really break down each of these elements, spend an extended amount of time that we can understand this passage for what it is. I'm going to run through it a little quickly this morning just to show you how it breaks down. And then I want to show you something that I don't know if you've ever seen before in this text. And, and for me, in studying it, it was, it was like, I can't believe I missed that all these years. Um, and, and after that, just, just a few concluding points, and we'll, we'll get on with our week. So John chapter 3, verse 16, Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, and whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. As we look at this passage, there are seven primary observations to make. The first, we we see God's reason for extending love. or I'm sorry, God's reason for sending his son. Uh, And it's because of love. God so loved. When you and I look to the characteristics of God, it is not God's holiness that sends Jesus. It is not God's righteousness that sends Jesus. His perfection that sends Jesus. It is God's love that sends Jesus. There's there's something in that you and I need to make sure that we attach ourselves to because as followers of Jesus Christ, you and I would be commanded much like Paul commands the church. He says, follow me as I follow Jesus. And so if you and I are going to be having lives that are characterized after God, we need to understand uh, the reason for giving is what? Well, it's because they sent me a card last year and I didn't send them anything. So I guess I better send them something this year. You might as well just keep your stamp if that's your if that's your reason. Um, When it comes to giving, when it comes to sending, when it comes to self-sacrifice, there's not there's nothing beyond love. Love is the source. It is the reason uh, that we need to emulate in following after God. Secondly, we have the reach of God for God so loved the world. Uh, this, in fact, tiny little two words here has been quite the measure of debate within the church over uh, the extent of God's love. And I think that for most of it, it's well-intentioned, but I think people sometimes get a little bit off on um, niche itch issues, uh, forgetting what is being demonstrated here from Jesus. In, in these words, Jesus is speaking To show the vastness of his love. 
Now, this doesn't mean that everyone is saved. I want to make sure we're not confused on that. I doubt you would have been confused on that. Uh, God loves the whole world, and so the offer for the gift of salvation has been given to the whole world. That is God's reach. Uh, When we read in the book of Acts, for the purpose of the church, uh, they will be endowed with power by the Holy Spirit coming on them. And Jesus says, you will be my witnesses first in Jerusalem, where they are, and then in Judea, which is kind of the surrounding region, and then in Samaria, and then this last thing Jesus says goes right in line with what he's saying here in John. He says, and to the very ends of the earth, because God's desire is for all peoples. His reach is given for all peoples. But as we know, not all people receive the gift. Many don't want it. Does that mean God doesn't love them? What do you think? He still loves them. Still loves them. Maybe you have a situation like that in your life, and I hope you don't, but many times in the sinfulness and the brokenness of our world, family members or children or loved ones would... Boy, that makes the holidays hard, doesn't it? I don't, I don't know if you have anything like that, but where you see, again, the division where there ought to be unity within the family. Does it mean you don't love them? No, it just means we're broken. And again, in our desire to emulate God... Our reach needs to be for all peoples, not just a particular one. And this has always been God's plan from the beginning. Again, I'll save the majority of my preaching for that in a time when we can go into it a little bit further. Number three is this. God's response to his love was that he gave. For God so loved the world that he gave. I still kind of chuckle when I think of um, asking my wife for what I want for Jesus's birthday, which is just crazy. Um, But I actually, there's something in it that really makes me smile. And it's kind of like, it's one of those real endearing moments that you think in your heart. What do you think God thinks when he looks down on Christmas morning and he sees his children giving gifts to each other for his birthday? I actually think that's beautiful. I actually think that that's something we probably shouldn't just wait for Christmas to do. And I'm I'm so grateful in this church that it's not. Uh, Many times we have opportunity to serve one another and give to one another. But what a treasure of emulation after, after what God has done that we would give to one another on his birthday. I just, I I love that. But that shows us his response. God's love is the initiator and the response from his love is to give. Fourthly is this, is the uh, relevance of the gift Um, Jesus says he gave what? His one and only son. Your Bible may read his only begotten son. Uh, It's important that we have this uh, terminology that's given us here because there are other places where the term sons of God are used in the book of Job. It's used to refer to the angels are sons of God. Uh, In other places in the New Testament writings, uh, the children of God are called sons of God. Romans uh, chapter 8 specifically as we will be adopted onto sonship um, as being part of his family. This doesn't mean that God has millions and millions of children. There was one One specific person who is God's son, his one and only son. Do you ever re-gift something? Anyone ever? Why do you you re-gift something? Because be honest now, because you really, because you really don't want it, right? That's why you, that's why you give it. 
Now, as long as the, the person receiving it doesn't find out, you're good, right? That's the goal, that they never learned that this was given from someone else, right? But if they find out it was re-gifted, yeah, guess what? The gift loses a little bit of relevance. I think we need to take note here that when it comes to God giving, he doesn't give you leftovers. When it comes to God's love for the reach of the world, he does not give something. Oh, Jesus is on sale today. Well, give me two of them. He gives his one and only. And that matters. He gives the very best thing he has. Now, I, again, I want to really preach on this a lot more, but simply let me put, ask you to put yourself in God's, God's position. Would you give your child? I ain't giving you my st- <laughs> I ain't giving you my child. I, I can't imagine, I cannot even imagine what that must have been like for God to give his son for the rebellious sinners that we are. That is the measure of his love shown to us in the relevance of the gift. Uh, Fifthly is this, uh, the request uh, that has been offered, whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him. Again, there's so much more that needs to be said on this. This isn't just intellectual assent to believe, oh, I believe in God. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a transfer of your faith for the seat of authority in your life. That's the belief we're talking about. It's the same kind that we have when Jesus asks his disciples, who do men say that I am? And they all kind of, uh, you know, report back to what they've been hearing. But then Jesus asks them, who do you say that I am? And it's Peter who gives the response. Do you remember this? He says, you are the Christ, the Messiah. You are the Christ. Which in their understanding, the terminology Messiah here referred to the one who is anointed. And that was, the, that was kind of the, the term that you would use for the king. So if you wanted to talk about the king, you would say the Messiah, the anointed one. Peter says, that's who you are. That's what it means to believe in him. It means to put him as king of your life. Not as sweet baby Jesus in the manger. Not as, oh yeah, Jesus at church, our father who are in heaven. That's not, that's not the Jesus we're talking about. The Jesus that we're talking about here is the one to whom that you say, there's no, no one else to whom I can turn. He is my Lord. I believe in him. That's the request that's offered. The rescue that is given is seen next in the verse. Whoever believes in him shall not perish. Uh, the word literally means to, uh, uh, to be extinguished, to, to, to be ruined. Uh, we, we have a little bit further clues, a little bit further in the text. If you jump down into verse 18, he says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. It's the same idea here for perish. If you believe in Jesus, the reward offered to you, same thing Paul says in Romans chapter 8, there's no condemnation for you. The, the, the problem is, without believing in Jesus, you and I have, uh, as, our, um, as our seventh observation here, uh, we will not have eternal life. For without Jesus, we already stand as those condemned. I already asked you if you were sinners, right? You're all on the same page with me on this. Guess what sin gets you? The wages of sin is... That's what it gets you. But if you believe in Jesus... If you believe in him in the way that he's referring to here, that you put him as Lord of your life, you will not perish. 
Even though the body woven in corruption here will still go into the grave. The newness that Paul speaks of that outwardly we're wasting away. Yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. And as Jesus speaks to Mary and Martha, he says that I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever believes in me and lives will never die. You can have a spirit that will live forever by placing your faith in Jesus. But if you don't, you're dead already. You stand condemned already by your own sin. I'm not making this up. Read it with me again in verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Now, there's a lot more that could be said on that. Amen? There's something that I, in studying this, never saw before. And that's what I want to draw out to you here. Um, and I, I, want, I want you to uh, write this down. God's love, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Uh, I had to look the word up. Uh, ridiculous means absurd, outrageous, excellent. That's what God's love is like. It's absurd. It's outrageous. It's excellent. And the reason is because it's nothing that we know of on this earth. We, we, we have nothing to compare it to. You know what we have? We have reality TV shows based upon performance rewards. That's what we have. We have, you better be good for goodness sake. That's what we have. But God's love is not like that. In fact, there's a verse, I put it in your sermon notes. It's up here on the screen. Romans 5, 6 through 8 says this. You see... At just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love to us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What do you call that kind of love? That's ridiculous. That is a kind of love that we, we cannot compare anything to. You mean when we were sinners? Well, you, you mean I had, to, I had to be better than my neighbor? Nope. You, you mean I had to really polish up my shoes? Nope. When you were a sinner, he loved you. And he knew it. He knew that you were a sinner. Here's why this was revolutionary to me. I got I to gotta draw you back to the... Chapter 3. Do you guys still have your Bibles open? We're, we're going to read a little bit more now because this is something I've missed. John 3.16, right? All the sporting events, the guys holding it up on the signs. We've known it by heart. Do you know something? I forgot for some reason because of its popularity that John 3.16 falls in chapter 3 of the book of John. It seems, how did you forget that? What's going on in chapter 3 that we need to pay attention to that gives this verse so much more meaning? Just before we reach chapter 3, you have Jesus going through Jerusalem here for Passover. If you back down to chapter 2, look with me in verse 23. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. Watch this, verse 24. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about men, for he knew all What was in a man? He knows. He knows what's in you. 
Do you remember the story of Grandma and Grandpa, Adam and Eve? Remember the story? They disobeyed God, immediately aware of their shame. And what did they do next? They hid from God. Did God know? He knew. God knew what had happened. And their response, rather than come into the light to repent, to acknowledge I am a sinner and I need your help because I broke your command. Rather than come into the light, they fled to the darkness. And there in the garden, if you and I could have a time machine, go back in time, you could look and there you'd see them hiding in the, in the dark of the bushes, making sure nobody could see, just peeking their head out every second to make sure nobody was around because they knew that God would come walking and so they hide from him because they're afraid because of their sin. And there is the... If you look over in the corner of the garden is the, the choir of school children saying, you better watch out, you better not cry, you better be good, I'm telling you. And they said, yeah, we know. That's why we're hiding. Because we failed. Chapter 3 begins with a man who knows the exact same thing. Look in the story. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Let me just talk about the Pharisees for a moment here. The Pharisees were a a sect within Judaism of righteous people. At least they thought they were righteous. They were experts on the law. They knew all the things that you had to do and not do to make God happy. But any honest Pharisee knew that deep down in his heart, there was still sin. And so check this out. We have one of them sneaking away after their meeting, right? And he sneaks away. Look when it is. A member of the ruling council, verse 2. He came to Jesus when? Why did he come at night? Doesn't want anyone to see. He's got got to come. Someone might see, right? I got got to keep up my appearances. I got to make sure I'm being good. Someone's making a list somewhere, so I got I to make sure nobody will know. And he comes to Jesus sneaking at night. And he, he, we, we have the rest of the story here. And, and it's, not, it's not so much the rest of the story that I want to get through in chapter 3. It's this exact context. Because you and I have to remember, Jesus says John 3.16 in the context of a man who has been hiding in the darkness because he knows his sin and he doesn't measure up. His question, if you look at it again, uh, in verse 4, how can, uh, how can a man be born again, he asks. He knows he's a sinner. He knows he doesn't deserve God's love. He knows he doesn't deserve heaven. And so in the cloak of darkness, he comes to Jesus. And Jesus' words in John three sixteen now change their meaning. Because when he says, for God so loved the world, he sent his son. I want you to know. He didn't send his son so nobody would see. God so loved the world, he sent his son so all could see. And I think the rest of the passage makes more sense when we understand this context. And it will change how we understand love to see it just as ridiculous kind of love. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light, 
because their deeds were evil. And everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what God has done has been done through him. Here's what this means. This means if you have any good in your life, like Nicodemus could be given good to, right? Remember, Pharisee lived a holy, righteous life, yet sin on the inside. He could keep up the appearance that nobody knows if he hides in the dark. But if he were to come into the light, his sinful heart would be exposed. And who then would get credit for the good that he has done? Him? The devil wants to hold us in fear. The lie that you are not good enough is one that follows with the words, therefore God doesn't love you, and that is a lie. There is none who is good, and that is the measure of God's love. For he demonstrated his own love to us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is the good news of Christmas. That is how we need to change how we understand love. We need to be very careful living in a world of performance-based rewards. That we don't treat one another that way. That we learn to treat each other the way that God has. In effort to do that, I just have a few conclusions. Number one is this. Love gives to those who cannot pay back the deed. That's what love does. Could, could you fully repay God for what he has done for you? You, you could even, even the account? Nope. Guess what? He didn't say, oh, I'll, I'll send you my son, but you know what? You got to make sure you pay interest back on that. He gave freely to those who couldn't pay him back. That's what love does. Secondly, love gives to the helpless. Uh, it was Romans 5 uh, that at just the right time, at just the right time when we were powerless, when there's nothing that you and I can do, that's when God sent his son. Because love gives to those who are not able. Thirdly, love gives of the best. Remember what, remember what God gave? His one and only. He, he didn't do no uh, gift exchange. It, it wasn't a, what's that called? A re-gifting it. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't re-gift something to you. He, he gave his best. And that's what love does. A genuine love, ridiculous kind of love. It sacrifices. Lastly is this, love gives even when the offense is known. Even when the offense is known. I received, I received a card this morning of somebody who's upset at someone in our church. Well, there's no name, and so whoever it was can remain anonymous. But here was the content. They have the observation that there's people in our church who they think are taking advantage of the church. So we should stop giving to them, right? That's what we should do. Right? Because we know now. We know how they're taking advantage. And so we are cutting them off today, right? That's what love would do. Right? No, love gives even when the offense is known. That's a ridiculous kind of love, you guys. That is not how the world operates. To those who are helpless, to those who are hurting... To those who cannot even pay you back, 
That's who we give to. And we don't give our scraps, our table leftovers. We ought to give our best. And the reason is because that's how God treats us. Now, normally when I preach a sermon, I have uh, application and I, I don't have any today. And that's intentional. And the reason is because I think every now and then you and I don't need more directions on where to go. Sometimes we just need a gas station fill up. So that's all I want today to be. I just want it to be a gas station fill up that you would be encouraged here on the brink of Christmas to know what love looks like. And, and I'm, I don't want to give you any challenge or pressure that you got to do better love people. I don't want to do anything like that. I just want you to dwell in knowing the love that has been shown to you by God. And to conclude with, I want to give you the words of this uh, hymn and listen to the poetry of this, that it might be an encouragement for you as you might remember your sin, as you might remember your pain. Though the angry surges roll on my tempest-driven soul, I am peaceful, for I know, wildly though the winds may blow, I have an anchor, safe and sure, that can evermore endure. And it holds, my anchor holds. Blow your wildest then, O gale, on my bark so small and frail. By his grace I shall not fail, for my anchor holds. My anchor holds. Mighty tides about me sweep. Perils lurk within the deep. Angry clouds overshade the sky and the tempest raises high. Still I stand the tempest's shock for my anchor grips the rock and it holds. My anchor holds. Blow you wildest then, O gale, on my bark so small and frail. By his grace I shall not fail for my anchor holds. My anchor holds. Troubles almost overwhelm the soul. Griefs like billows over me roll. Tempers seek to lure me astray. Storms obscure the light of day. But in Christ I can be bold. I have an anchor that shall hold. And it holds. My anchor holds. Blow your wildest then, O gale. On my bark so small and frail. By his grace I shall not fail. For my anchor holds, my anchor holds. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Amen. Amen.